let us open our Bibles to the book of Philippians. To the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1. Today we're going to look at three verses, verses 9 through 11. And I've entitled today's sermon, Spiritual Maturity, How to Grow in the Faith. There is a lot of confusion about what Christian maturity looks like. Spiritual maturity isn't about age. You can be 50 years old and still be not mature in the faith. You can be a believer for 30 years and still be not mature in the faith. Spiritual maturity isn't about achievement. You can accomplish much without being spiritual mature. And spiritual maturity isn't about academics. You can have a Bible college degree and a seminary degree that doesn't necessarily make you spiritual mature. And most importantly, spiritual maturity isn't gained in the moment. It's not like you're zapped with spiritual maturity and then boom, I'm spiritual mature. No, it is a constant process, a constant growth. Spiritual maturity is a process that never ends. And it's a, it's a constant growth towards Christ-likeness. This is a good definition of spiritual maturity. To grow and resemble Christ more than yesterday. 2 Corinthians 3.18 affirms that. It says that we are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, from glory to glory. Oswald Sanders gives a helpful definition of spiritual maturity. He says, spiritual maturity is simply Christ-likeness. We are as mature as we are like Christ and no more. He was the only fully mature man. His character was complete, well-balanced, and perfectly integrated. All his qualities and capacities were perfectly attuned to the will of his Father. And this is the model, the standard God has set for us. And John MacArthur also gives us a helpful definition of spiritual maturity. He says, spiritual growth is simply matching my practice with my position in Christ. Now, my position in Christ is perfect. I am complete in Him. I have all things that pertain to life and godliness. I have, I have received all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. But I need to progress in my practical life in a way that is equivalent with my position. So to be more like Christ, spiritual maturity is a constant process. It's a constant growth. It is very much like climbing a hill of ice. Every time you, you want to go upward, 
you need to chip off the ice with the ice axe. You need to unceasingly labor and cut your way through in order for you to go upward. And if you stop doing that, you're going to fall. Doing nothing will result in you falling down. And it is the same with spiritual maturity. So if you want to grow in your spiritual life, if you want to mature in the faith, you need to keep moving forward. You need to cut your way through life and labor hard. And moving forward or growing in the faith means you can never let go. You can never cease from growing. And the day you stop growing is the day you start falling back. So spiritual maturity is not optional. It's necessary. You know, a baby in order to grow up cannot live on milk alone. He needs solid food. And so it is with the Christian. He cannot live his Christian life at the beginner's level all his life. He needs to grow. And today, we are going to look at four areas where growth is needed. Four areas. In this prayer of Paul, there are four marks of spiritual maturity that you need to be aware of so that you may grow in your walk with the Lord. Okay? Four spiritual marks. Let's read our text for today. Philippians chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in full knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So let me give you a small context to where we are at. Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. The word for joy is mentioned 14 times in this small epistle. And the interesting thing is that Paul is writing this epistle of joy from prison. And he's about to wait, he's about to face his, mar- his trial before Nero, which means he can be killed. Yet he writes this epistle and he rejoices. So his joy is not based on his circumstances, his joy is based on the gospel and the gospel being proclaimed. That, that's what brings joy to Paul. However, this prayer, even though the Philippians were committed to the gospel, in no way he is condemning them. What he wants wants to see is growth. He wants them to grow more and more in their walk with the Lord. He wants them to be more and more like Christ in all aspects of their lives. And so should we. So the first mark to be spiritual mature, you need to grow in love. That's found in verse 9. And this I pray, 
that your love may abound still more and more. Another translation says, and this I pray that your love may overflow still more and more. That's a good definition of abound. Abound means to grow to a point where you are filled and you overflow. Paul did not say, if you notice also, he didn't say, let your love abound more only, which would have been good. He, he, he didn't say also more and more, which would have been better. What does he say? He says, still more and more, which has the idea of never ending growth and love. Even though the Philippians had lots of love, Paul prayed that the Philippians would never stop growing in their love. Never stop growing in their love. And like I said before, Paul is not condemning the Philippians for their lack of love. No. Paul, out of all people, knew of the love of the Philippians. The Philippians were constantly there next to Paul when no one was. This epistle was written after 10 years Paul established the church. And he hasn't seen them since. And yet throughout these 10 years, the Philippians have not forgotten about their pastor. They have supported him throughout these 10 years. They sent Epaphroditus to take care of Paul in prison. And they sent with him a financial gift. The Philippians supported Paul when he went to Thessalonica, when he went to Berea, when he went to Athens, when he went to Corinth, and now he's in Rome, and they are still supporting him. So throughout the years, they have shown this amazing love. But Paul is praying that they would grow more. So what does this imply? This means that you can never reach a level of satisfaction in your love. There's always room to grow. No Christian can ever say, I have reached the highest level of love. I am good where I am at. This is an area where all Christians need to constantly grow and be aware of. And what, what kind of love is Paul talking about? Well, it could be a love for God, and it could be a love for the church, for people. And the New Testament doesn't separate between the two. You cannot love God without loving your brother, and you cannot love your brother without loving God. First John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Straightforward. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And Paul may be preparing also the Philippians to what, about, to what he's about to say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where he describes the kind of love. He says, Doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another 
as more important than yourselves. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So in other words, growing in love means sacrificially giving of yourself for the benefit of others. Sacrificing your time, your energy, your resources for the benefit of others. This is the kind of love that brings honor and glory to God. And, you know, love is something that is repeated throughout the Bible. I'm not saying something new. It is hard to read the Bible and not see the importance and the necessity to love one another. And Paul even prioritizes love over everything. It's that important. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about love in chapter 13. So if you read chapter 12 and chapter 14, it's talking about spiritual gifts. So he's, he, he's, he's telling, him, telling, the, him, telling them about spiritual gifts, and he inserts this chapter on love. So, so why does he do that? Well, because even though the Corinthians were a gifted group of people, the thing they lacked was love. They might have been a gifted group, but they were still infants. And Paul wanted them to grow up, to be men marked by love, which for Paul was a sign of maturity. So it doesn't matter how gifted you are. If you do not have love, it's vain and empty. There are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You know, I was, as, as I was thinking about like, perfect love, how does that look like? You know, a perfect love means never complaining about anything. You know, why? Because you acknowledge that it is the loving hand of God that brought you to where you are at. Growing in love means embracing God's sovereignty, embracing God's wisdom, embracing God's goodness, knowing that all things work for good for those who love God. I mean, I mean, look at Paul. He's writing this letter from prison, and he never complains once. He doesn't say, why God, why me? No, he, he's joyful. He rejoices. So growing in love means growing in thanking God in all circumstances in life. Even when trials come your way, the spiritual mature Christian sees them as opportunities to grow in the faith, to be more like Christ, and he rejoices in them. But how can we grow in our love? Well, obviously, Paul here is praying, so the first thing we need to do is pray. God is love, and, God, and love comes from God. It says that God poured his love in us through the Holy Spirit. So number one, pray. Number two, behold the love of God. Look and ponder at the cross of Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
You know, you might think that God owes you this love. You are deserving of this love. Friend, what you deserve is wrath and judgment because of your sin. God demands perfect obedience. And no one has obeyed except Jesus Christ. So friend, turn away from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Third, to grow in love, be involved in the church. Be involved in the church. You know, being more involved in the church will expose where you lack love. In which areas you need to grow in. This has helped me personally, especially coming here. Seeing the love at Grace Community Church is amazing. Seeing the love of other members of the church has cultivated in me a desire to grow more in my love towards others. When we first came here, a family, which we didn't know about, opened their house. And they embraced us with their love. They took care of us. They gave us a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Even brought us food when we were sick. And that's what being in a church does. It cultivates in you a love for God and a love for others. But this love is not sentimental love only. It is a wise love, which brings us to point number two. To be spiritual mature, you need to grow in wisdom. In wisdom. Verse 9 again. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. So Paul, after mentioning love, he mentions knowledge and he mentions discernment. So a spiritual mature Christian is one who has knowledge and who uses that knowledge to make wise decisions, which is discernment. So like I said, wisdom here has two elements, knowledge and discernment. So let's look at knowledge. Paul is praying that they would grow in their knowledge of God, obviously, not intelligence. And the interesting thing is that The Philippians had sound theology. They knew the gospel. They preached the gospel faithfully, rightly. And and Paul even commends them for their faithfulness in sharing the gospel. However, he does pray for their growth in knowledge. And growing in your knowledge of God is similar to growing in in your love for God and for others. You can never attain a point where you can say, I know all things about God. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. It's beyond our understanding. That's the God we serve. But a mature Christian, even though he knows that he will never attain perfect knowledge... He has this eagerness to know more about Christ, to know more about his God. He comes to church so that he might hear the word of God. He uses his resources to buy books to better know God. He uses valuable time 
to go to conferences so that he might refine his knowledge of God. He listens to sermons to understand how to live a life that glorifies God. But first and foremost, a spiritual mature Christian loves his Bible and loves reading his Bible. It's something he cherishes most. To know God is to know his word. You cannot separate the two. So in order for you to grow in your knowledge, reading the Bible is essential. A daily Bible reading is essential. And second, in order for you to grow in your knowledge, you need to stay teachable. Stay teachable. Keep reading good theological books. Keep listening to faithful preachers. Keep refining your knowledge of Scripture. Keep asking questions. And most importantly, never stop being discipled. You can never outgrow being a disciple of Christ. And also, accept correction from others. I know it's hard sometimes. But don't let your pride get into your way of growing in this area. You know, if that person has a point, you need to think about it, pray about it. And if they're right, you shouldn't be defensive, but accept the correction. So stay teachable in order for you to grow in your knowledge of God. So that's knowledge. Now let's look at discernment. So discernment is the practical application of knowledge. And Paul emphasizes discernment in verses 9 and verses 10 also. The word here in verse 10 for approve is, can actually be translated as discern or examine. It was, a, uh, it was used for testing metals or coins to see if they were genuine or not. And also, if you look at verse 10, the things that need discernment, it says here that the things that are excellent. But what, what does Paul mean that? What are, what are these things that are excellent? What does he mean by that? Well, another translation that can help us, it says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. What is best? So Paul is praying that the Philippians may grow in their wisdom to choose what is best. So the discernment is not between good and evil. It's between good and best. And good and best are both good things. They are not sinful. But the difference is, do they build me up? Does it edify me if I choose this option or not? I'm not talking about sin. This means the mature Christian examines everything and chooses carefully. And in his mind, he's thinking, what brings honor and glory to God? That thing I will do. 1 Corinthians 10 23 says, All things are lawful, 
but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Listen carefully. A mature Christian asks, will this build me up? Will this build up others? If not, what's the point of me doing it? An immature Christian typically asks, is that sin? Is it okay for me to do so? Just because it is okay or not morally wrong, that doesn't mean it is what is best. Going to the bar to have a drink, it's not sinful. But you need to ask yourself, does it edify me? Does it edify others? If somebody saw you drinking at the bar, will somebody say, praise the Lord? I don't think so. If there's a chance you can cause a brother or a sister to stumble, why do it? What's the point? Be discerning. A mature Christian has a heavenly mindset, always thinking about how he can grow. He discerns between what is good and what is best, what is edifying and what is not. So what do you do with your time? Have you spent any time in the past two months sharing the gospel with somebody? How many hours are you spending watching entertainment? And compare that with how many hours you are reading your Bible, praying, coming to church. Something really interesting is who are your friends? Being spiritual discerning means carefully choosing your friends. Choosing friends that will edify you. Proverbs 22 says, verse 24 through 25, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Why? Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So choose carefully. Be discerning. Spiritual mature Christian is one who is constantly growing in his knowledge and discernment. And he does so not for his benefit only. He does it for the glory of God. You know, if you want to grow in your knowledge and discernment just so that people may praise you, you're just like a Pharisee. But if you do so for the glory of God, then you are being more mature in your faith. The desire to grow in knowledge and discernment is to better worship God and better obey God in all things. Point number three, third mark. So to be spiritually mature, you need to grow in your love and in your wisdom. Third, you need to grow in your sanctification. Sanctification. That's in verse 10. Also, it says, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. 
until the day of Christ. The word sincere here also means pure, without hidden motives. And the word is really rare in the New Testament. It's only found two times. It's here and in Philippians and in 2 Peter. And it's really interesting. Um, in ancient Rome, good and expensive pottery uh, was really thin and really fragile. And it could have some cracks in it if it was kept too long in the fire. So to cover the cracks, the dishonest shops would put wax on them. And they wouldn't show because they were painted over or glazed or whatever. So in ordinary light, you could not know the difference. You could not know if they had wax or not. But if you held them up to the light, you could see the cracks. So honest dealers used to put on the bottom of their merchandise Sinacera, which you get your word sincere from, which means without wax. That's interesting, sorry. So that's a fact. <laughs> but in other words, a mature Christian is one who is morally pure. He's genuine. He's not a hypocrite. He doesn't try to deceive by pretending someone he is not. This is what Paul is praying for the Philippians, that they may be free of hypocrisy. But be sincere. Do what is honoring to God. Their growth and knowledge and discernment should not contradict the way they live their lives. No, a hypocrite is someone who claims to have certain beliefs, but his behavior does not conform to them. He does not practice what he preaches. And the same is for us. A mature Christian is not one who practices everything he preaches. Not perfectly, but towards perfection. That's his goal. Sanctification. There's a story about a police officer who uh, pulled the driver aside and asked for his license. So the driver said, why are you stopping me, officer? I, I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't speeding. He said, no, you weren't, but I saw you waving your fist as you swerved around the lady driving in the left lane. And I further observed you, your flushed and angry face as you shouted to the driver who cut you off. And how you pounded your steering wheel when the traffic light came to a stop. So the driver responded, is that a crime, officer? He said, no, but when I saw Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker, <laughs> I figured this car had to be stolen. <laughs> a mature Christian cares about his reputation. He cares about it because he knows his life reflects 
the God whom he believes in. He is concerned with what people may think of him, not because him personally, but because the God he talks about, he preaches about, he lives for. He does not want to bring shame to God's name, but wants to honor and bring glory to God's name. So if you want to know how a mature Christian looks like, just look at their lives. Are you pursuing holiness? Are you in the process of being sanctified? Do you want that? Do you want to be more and more like Christ? Is that what brings you joy? So that was... um, Okay, second word is blameless, sorry. Second word is blameless. So sincere, and now we're going to look at blameless, blameless. And this word blameless in the original language, it means without stumbling, and it could mean without causing others to stumble. So in other words, a mature Christian does not live a life of sin. He is not recognized by a life of of sin, and he does not cause others to fall into sin. A mature Christian lives a blameless life in the sense that he is not identified in a particular sin. He is above reproach. He is not recognized as someone who gets angry quickly or disrespectful or mean to other people. No. He is recognized as someone who is gentle, kind, loving. So what will motivate you to be more like Christ? Well, it says here in the text in verse 10, in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ. So it is a never-ending process also. You can never be too holy. And... Paul says here, until the day of Christ. So until he comes back, we need to grow more and more. And what I've learned, or something that pushes me to be more like Christ, is the day of Christ. That is the point of application. So if you want to grow in sanctification, remind yourself that Christ is coming. And you don't know when he is coming. It could be tomorrow. Are you ready to face Christ? Are you satisfied with the way you are living your life? Are you seeking to grow more like Christ? You don't have much time. You don't know when Christ is coming. It could be at any moment. That creates in us a fear, a godly fear to revere God, to obey Him, to be changed into the image of Christ. And when He comes, will you be that faithful servant who had five talents and brought five more? Or are you going to be the one who hid it in the ground? 
That's the incentive to grow in your sanctification, to be more sincere and blameless. It's to acknowledge that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And the second point of application, it's also, it's, it's also obvious, it's prayer. Because this is a prayer. Sanctification is not something that we do. It is God working in us. So we need to acknowledge that. So prayer is vitally important. And if you notice, all the application points are prayer. Because it is that important. And it's so beneficial to pray, to be more and more like Christ. So mark number four. So to be spiritual, mature, you need to grow in love, in wisdom, in sanctification. And number four, in good works. Verse 11. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. A mature Christian is one who bears much fruit. And not any kind of fruit. Righteous fruit. Fruit that produces righteousness. Fruit that brings honor and glory and praise to God, as it says in the text. Why? Because they are done through Jesus Christ. So to grow in the faith is to grow in good works. That's very simple. It is doing acts of kindness toward your neighbor. It is seizing the opportunity to do good when you have a chance to do so. And even if people don't ask for it, is helping out someone in need. It is the practical way of expressing your love. It's, it's through good works. And it's, it's not the works that save. I'm not saying that. But we are saved unto good works. Let's open to Ephesians chapter 2. Very familiar passage. I'm sure you know it. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8. Let's begin at verse 8. So it's talking here about salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works so that no one may boast. So salvation is by faith alone. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. But look at verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So, it is true that we are saved by grace, but that saving faith is always followed by good works. And if you go back to Philippians, there are two aspects of growing in good works. A mature Christian knows that his fruit or his good works comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 11. 
It says the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. So not from any righteousness that you have, but from the righteousness of Christ which is in you. And a mature Christian is eager to do good works. Why? So that he might, so that he might glorify God. That's what it says, to the glory and praise of God. So he does not do good works for selfish ambition. No, he's, he does them because that, that's what brings honor and glory to God. An unbeliever may have many good works. Stressing the point about salvation by faith. But if the unbeliever doesn't do them in Christ, they are vain, they are empty. An unbeliever could have even more good works than a believer. But still he will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because someone has to pay for, that, for their sin. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we can have salvation. However, the believer inherits the kingdom of God, even if he doesn't do any good works. If he has repented, if you have repented and put your trust in Christ Jesus, you are saved. You are saved from eternal judgment. I mean, look at the thief on the cross. It's obvious he didn't have any good works, but he did believe. He did put his trust and faith in the Lord. But faith without works is what? It's dead. And all good works need to be done for the glory and praise of God. So how does a Christian mature in good works? I would say two things. Dependency upon God and motivated by the glory of God. Again, stressing the point of prayer. To be fruitful in your Christian life, you need to pray. All fruit comes from Jesus Christ. Without him, we cannot do anything. That's right. And a prayer is a confession, actually. It's a confession that we are unable to do it. And we need God to produce fruit in us. And second... If you want to grow in good works, what motivates you is that this work will bring praise and honor to God. That is such an amazing incentive to grow in the faith, to grow in good works. Imagine bringing a cup of water to somebody if he is thirsty. That will bring honor and glory to God. And we shouldn't wait for that thank you. Or, yeah, they didn't appreciate me. No. We shouldn't look at that because we know that this brought honor and glory to God. So that is something that should motivate you to grow in your good works. Not running in a race means you are losing. Not running towards Christ-likeness with your eyes fixed upon Christ means you are losing. You are going backward in the race. Spiritual maturity is a must in the Christian life. Growing more and more like Christ is something of necessity. 
growing more and more in love and wisdom and sanctification and good works will bring honor and glory to God. And none of these can be accomplished in a day. I'm sure about that. But what motivates us is that God who is, is at work in us, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. I'm going to end with a quote by J.C. Ryle. He speaks of spiritual maturity in this way. He says, When I speak of a man growing in grace, I mean simply this, that his sense of sin is becoming deeper, his faith stronger, his hope brighter, his love more extensive, his spiritual mindedness more marked. He feels more of the power of godliness in his own heart, and he manifests more of it in his life. He is going on from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from grace to grace. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word and for your spirit that is in us. Thank you that you are working in our lives, and I pray that you would grow us more in love and wisdom and sanctification and in good works. Let everything we do bring honor and glory to your name. Let us forsake things that are not the best. Choose the things that edify others and edify ourselves. Let us be diligent in prayer, relying upon you because you are the giver of every perfect and good gift. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.